Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So we uh, we just got a new refrigerator, mm-hmm. and we've got a lot more space in it than the than the previous refrigerator. So we're making a lot of leftovers and. One thing that I have learned in the past month of having this larger refrigerator is the importance of good labels. On your food? On your food, yes. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you, buddy. Well, we have a cautionary tale today around how tricky it can be to label data, um, especially data that's going to be used for machine learning. So I feel like this is going to really resonate with you. All right. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So we are recording this episode in the last few days of 2017. And as we're recording this, there's a blog post that's been kind of making the rounds in the last week or two about a data set that was used for deep learning around chest x-rays and trying to do diagnosis of various kinds of lung diseases with so this would deep learning. You're like feeding the x-rays into... Uh, some sort of an algorithm, and the algorithm is looking at them and trying to figure out, oh, this person might have this issue or that person might have that issue, and that's kind of the goal. That's the gist of it, yeah. So there's a convolutional neural net that's basically doing image recognition, and so the question is, can we do image recognition on these chest x-rays such that we can tell if someone has pneumonia or other various kinds of disorders? They have eight different diseases that they have uh, labels for. And yeah, the general goal is to say what the ailment is. So this is a result that, you know, the neural net architecture itself might be a little bit interesting, but from what I can tell, it's mostly a vanilla convolutional neural net that's typically used for image classification. The thing that's more interesting in this case, I think, is the underlying data set that they compiled to train it. That's interesting. I, I guess I always thought that the algorithm was always what you were focusing on. Not necessarily. For different problems, the focus might be on the data set or it might sometimes be on the algorithm. I've seen it both ways. But in this case, putting together the data set, from what I can tell, is a pretty monumental task. Mm -hmm. So there's almost 110,000 images in this data set, for example. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say 110, like in that moment when you were in the middle of pronouncing the word. (laughs) No. 110,000, that's a lot of images. It is. And those are all of different chests. Yes. So there's about 32,000 patients. So typically you might have three or on average three uh, x-rays for each patient. Um, And then there's eight different disease labels that have been associated with each of these images. And so it's a multi-class classification problem where you're trying to identify the labels that are associated with each one of the images. And in particular, you're allowed to have more than one label that's associated with each image. We should we should add that. And so just putting together this data set in the first place is uh, a big achievement. Like, I don't, I don't want to take that away from anyone. Like, getting all of these records together and in some sort of format that they're semi-comparable is a huge achievement. And that's the kind of work that has to be done in order to use deep learning methods on medical data, for example, because deep learning requires lots and lots of data to feed it. And medical data in particular, I think can be challenging to work with in that regime because it's usually collected a few dozens or a few hundreds of patients at a time. It's across many different systems, many different hospitals. And so the goal here is to create a data set that's fit for training medical AI systems to do diagnostic work. And 
while the original paper itself shows some pretty interesting results that suggest that that might be possible, the thing that's really interesting is a blog post that was written by a radiologist who has some computer training uh, who understands in general, the methods that are being used here and is calling into doubt whether the data set is fit for that application. So that's what I wanted to talk about here. So the name of the radiologist is Luke Oakton Rayner, and we will have mm-hmm. a link to his blog post as well as to the original paper on lineardigressions.com as usual. And there's something about the data set that you need to understand in order to kind of understand what the problem here might be. Mm-hmm. So the thing you need to understand is that there's images that we're trying to classify or that we're trying to associate labels with. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only data that's available when making a diagnosis. So there's also these uh. associated written reports of varying length that are attached to most or all of the images, I think, that contain additional information that's effectively being data mined to create the labels of what was the problem in the first place. So there's the oh, images. Wow. And there's the accompanying words. I see. Yeah, you kind of answered the question that was in my head because I was thinking, okay, all of these x-rays are taken by di- different doctors on different machines at different hospitals. But, like, fundamentally, it seems like an x-ray is an x-ray. You might have differences in exposure or something like that, or maybe the, the placement. You might have an offset or a rotation or a scaling or something like that. But, but like, an image is an image, so what's the big deal? So it seems like the big deal is the other side of it. How do you pull the diagnosis out of all of the kind of free written text? Right. And this is a spot where the original paper is a little lighter on the details than I think maybe would be ideal. Uh, And so I think what's going on is that there's radiologists who are asked to take the images and the accompanying reports and to create labels for the image report pair. And then that was used to train a model. And that model then used the report language to generate labels for all the additional cases. So the thing that's notable here is that the image labels are not necessarily, in fact, possibly not at all, coming from the images themselves. They're coming from natural language processing on the associated reports. I see that I see how that seems to be problematic. Right. And so what Luke Oakden Rader points out is that if we're using this to do image classification, then what we should do is we should look at the images. We shouldn't rely on the reports themselves. And I'll come back to the the point on what might be problematic about the reports. But in particular what he does is he starts with looking at a bunch of example images and says, I think that the label that's associated with these images, just based on the image itself, is wrong or questionable. And he's a radiologist, and so I have to sort of take his word for it, and I, I don't have enough medical background to necessarily say how easy or difficult it would be to, to make a judgment in some of these cases. But the larger point that he's trying to make is that just based on the images themselves, with the lack of the other information in the reports, that it's not straightforward that the labels mean anything, really. And unfortunately, the reports themselves, while the images might be openly available, the reports themselves are not because they contain a lot of personally identifying medical information. So Mm. there's kind of this extra piece of the puzzle that we have reason to think is very strongly influential in how the labels are being created. But 
that piece of the puzzle is not available to the computer that's trying to learn from the images what labels might be applied. So everything is just a little bit off. And so the first couple parts of the blog post are just talking through the problems that he's finding in the data set, and in particular, looking at a few different classes of pathologies that he's seeing. I I don't mean that in the medical sense, but in sort of the (laughs) colloquial sense. Uh Uh, So one good example is, I guess there's a, a lung disorder called pneumothorax, and I don't know the details of what that means, but it sounds like a pretty common way of treating that or treating associated diseases that it's comorbid with is that you get a chest strain put into your chest and that chest strain will show up on the x-ray. And so one of the problems that might be showing up, and it's a little bit hard to tell exactly, is that if you're trying to make something that's good for diagnosing pneumothorax, you can have a model that's very predictive of finding it in your data set, but maybe all it's finding is the chest strain. And so if you have someone who doesn't have a chest strain in their chest, then the algorithm might not be very good at all at figuring out that they have a problem. That's interesting. That's kind of, um, if you're trying to use this to diagnose people, then you don't want the model picking up artifacts from their previous diagnosis, since these people have already been diagnosed in some cases. Well, exactly. And so put a pin in that thought because we're going to come back to it. Okay. But I want to follow the structure of the blog post a little bit and move on to the the next part, which is where he actually tries building out uh, a model of his own and trying to see how well it does. So the general question is, you know, if we don't think that the labels are perfect in this data set, that might not necessarily be a problem if depending on the type of noise that gets mixed in with the labels. In particular, if you have white noise, noise that isn't structured in any particular way that gets mixed in with your labels or with your data, that can actually improve the models in many cases. But if you have noise that is structured in a particular way that has some kind of collinearity with the features of the data or the labels that you're trying to learn, that can be very, very bad. (laughs) So the question here is, is it structured noise or is it unstructured noise? Assuming that that there is some noise in this data set that's causing the labels to be off. So what he did was he took a few hundred images and tried to relabel the data set in a simpler way. Uh, So he said, instead of there being eight different classes, I'm just going to say that there's an opacity or there's no finding where opacity is kind of a catch-all term for something is wrong here. Mm. With the goal being that this is a simpler case to uh, make diagnoses for. I don't know if in some ways it might make it a little bit more challenging because you have different kinds of positive classes that you have to pick out, but we'll put that aside for the moment. Um, But he creates this data set by hand, um, builds a model, and that model, the metric that he's using is the AUC, the area under the rock curve. Um, And he's able to build a decent model without too much difficulty. So the AUC of this model is something like 0.7. And so in many cases, that would be, you know, it's not a great model, but it's, it's not bad. But then he looks at the, basically the precision and the recall, the true positives, the true negatives, the false positives, the false negatives, and finds that even though the AUC looks pretty good, the model is still not making the right decision in many cases. It gets lots of cases wrong. And his term for this is reliably meaningless. <laughs> so he says, you know, 
this model doesn't seem to be doing anything, even though the AUC is pretty good, which is a little bit hard for me to reconcile because AUC, if you have a decent AUC, you mm-hmm. should have a decent model. So there's probably something a little bit, again, a little bit pathological that's going on here. And without more information, it would be a little bit hard for me to tell exactly how to square that circle. But I think that what's going on here and what he strongly suggests is that there's bias that's creeping into the labeling process and that bias ends up getting perfectly predicted. And that is a pretty nasty situation to be in. You're in this structured noise regime where the model hasn't learned what you thought it learned. And this is where we come back to the point that you made earlier about what actually goes into that report and what's the what's the medical context in which that report is being generated. Uh, and remember that report is the underlying data for the labels that are being written. These radiology reports are not descriptions of images. The images are accompanying data to the reports themselves, but they're not meant to be captions for the images. They're other information that provides fuller context around the case itself that helps someone else know what to do with the patient. So in particular, there's someone who's writing this report, and they're presumably some kind of medical professional, and they're writing it for someone else, whether it's themselves in the future, whether it's one of their colleagues, whether it's someone that they're referring the patient to. So there's a presumed audience who's probably also a medical professional who has a bunch of context here and is using this report to fill in what they need to know. So for example, let's say that there is a patient who is very, very sick and has all kinds of terrible stuff going on in their chest x-ray, but it doesn't change from last week to this week. You could imagine the doctor in that case writing a note on this week's x-ray that says, nothing new here. Like, it's not getting worse. It's not good, but it's not getting worse. But only within the context of, oh, by the way, I've already been treating this patient and here's what was going on last week, and it's just the same as that. Without that context, the label could very easily be interpreted as there's nothing wrong here when, in fact, the opposite is true. So it's the it's the plucking each of these images and their corresponding record out of the context of the patient, the doctor, and the, the patient's entire previous medical history that ultimately causes this problem. I think that's right. That seems to be the the thesis of this blog post. And again, I'm not a medical professional and can't say for sure exactly what some of the habits of these folks might be when they're writing medical reports. But it does make sense to me that uh, there's patterns in how people write radiology reports that take into account some of that context, like who is the writer, who is the reader, what else has been going on. I'm going to write the things that are most important for the communication that needs to happen. I'm not going to write irrelevant information, even if it might be really important. Um, And in general, all of these things add up to potentially being a type of structured noise that gets mixed into those reports that then generate the labels. And so the hypothesis here is that for creating diagnostic deep learning systems, just having the images themselves is not going to map well onto those radiology reports that are used to generate the labels in a way that's very complicated and in particular noisy in the structured way. And that creates sort of the the undercurrent of doubt around the entire project here, which is uh, really challenging. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think I understand now what you mean by structured versus unstructured noise. Unstructured just being all of these reports are nudged in one way or the other totally randomly. Uh, but structured in this case, meaning that they are um, nudged in a, in a way that's correlated with the underlying disease that we're trying to find. And also with uh, with certain things like the way that someone might say no change here or the way that someone might refer to some specific terminology or a, a previous note or something like that within the reports. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice that's a nice summary. So I think at this point it's a really nicely written blog post that I think the the authors of the original paper have been seem to be in correspondence with the blog post author and they're going back and forth a little bit right now on some of the important details. So there may be still more to come on this one, but like I said, as of right now, this is sort of where it sounds like things are landing, uh, is that there's some problems with this data set. But as I mentioned before, we'll have links to the original paper and to the blog post in response to it on LinearDigressions.com. And in the meantime, uh, yeah, be careful about your data sets out there. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.